Welcome to the Real Estate Raw Show, hosted by Joe Mendoza. How's it going, guys? Welcome to the Real Estate Raw Show today, ladies and gentlemen. Drink your coffee because this special guest that we have on our show, his mind, his knowledge, his experience is incredible. So take plenty of notes, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Brad Reimer will bring such extensive knowledge in the mobile home park industry, financing, lots of great nuggets. Smash that bell, subscribe, share with a friend. I appreciate you. Let's enjoy the show. Hi, guys. Joe Mendoza here in sunny San Diego. I'm super excited to have Mr. Brad Reimer on our show today. He's the president of Clover Leaf Capital Group. And prior to putting that deal together, he actually worked for a very large firm. He was a CFO. We'll be talking about that as well. Also, he was a sales representative at Marcus Milchap. So he's got incredible experience. Welcome to the show, Mr. Brad Reimer. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you very much, Joe. Nice to be here. Yeah. Thank you for taking out your time or your day. So let's just jump right in. Okay. Great. Let's go. All right, let's do this. So before real estate, before commercial real estate, what were you doing? How did you transition in? Sure, sure, sure. So, I mean, I I had not, I lived, I grew up in Indiana, uh, just outside of uh, South Bend, about 15, 20 minutes outside South Bend. So near Notre Dame, uh, I was a big football fan, played football for 15 years. And um, after college, after undergrad, I knew I didn't want to stay in Indiana. So I came out to Colorado. Uh, kind of a funny story. I mean, I came out to Colorado uh, on a plane trip to go see my sister in Sydney. And my family for my graduation gift had purchased these airline tickets uh, for us to, to actually go down there for three weeks. And I was I never had this happen before on any flight where I've been around the world on sailing trips. Uh, this had never happened where the pilot literally came over the, the, um, uh, the intercom and said, if you look out the window on the left and right, we're flying over Denver. There was a 5280 magazine in the front pocket. And I read about Denver and without a job or anything, I came out to Denver. I was working as a stock boy at, uh, at, at an industrial plant out here. So, yeah. So at, at that point in time, 22, 23, almost 23 years ago, uh, I came out to Denver and everything went from there. So that's the, from, you know, from that place to Marcus and Millichap. And then that's when commercial real estate started. I was wow. an art. Yeah, I was an art major, a philosophy and psych minor. And I wanted to be an art director. And then I just fell into the mathematics and investment side of real estate. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you haven't ever left since? No, no. Well, I, I take that back. So I was I lived in Hawaii for six months this year. So oh, it's not it's not a bad transition. Uh, I was I went out there supposed to be a two week trip and turned into six months. <laughs> wow. Which island were you on? I was on Oahu. Oh, yep. Yep. staying right in Waikiki. Nice. Yep. Yep. Nice. Yep. Nice. So yeah, I was uh, from uh, first grade to sixth. First through first grade through fifth grade. Okay. So extremely familiar with the island. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Honolulu was great. I had never been to Hawaii. Uh, obviously, you can, you can see I like to I like to to uh, to explore and, and do new things. And yeah, um, you know, went down to Oahu and just fell in love. It became my personality, and um, it, it was it was fantastic. It was one of the. It's probably my best decision, and 
I have full ambitions to, in the next probably 12, 18 months, be moving down there from Denver. Wow. Oh, so, yeah. That's how, much, that's how much it's set in, right? So. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm probably going to have to come out and visit you. You will have to, please. please. That's awesome, Brad. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's the best of pre real estate story. All right, let's talk about the Marcus Milchap. So sure. you were in that outfit for a while. Mm-hmm. How long were you there? What were some of the interesting stories you had over there? Yeah, I have a ton of interesting stories. Marcus Milchap is is a great is a great segment or part of the the commercial real estate sector because it introduces people in sales uh, in 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 the right in the right mindset. You and, and they they bring in a lot of raw people too. Uh, you know, I came in as just wanting to do graphic design as kind of a springboard into the next position somewhere where I could be an art director eventually. And it turned into me being so familiar with the numbers. Uh, I, I went into sales and marketing side. I actually got an, I got an offer uh, from corporate to go to San Francisco and head up everything. Because you do remember when there was a difference between Internet and then intranet, right? Before there was cloud and all that. Well, yeah. I was, I started building templates. I actually designed this, uh, a bunch of maps that followed uh, um, um, Latin longitude in Adobe Illustrator before Bing Maps came out or Yahoo Maps came out. So that's another, that's where I dropped one of the balls for sure. <laughs> I was uh, lining all this stuff up dynamic and I was building maps and I was actually building these templates for the agents there at Marcus and Millichap. And um I ended up getting a call from corporate to, to uh, got a job offer in San Francisco and it was a low offer. And I just, I, I knew how expensive San Francisco was. So I just stayed and um, helped it. It actually boosted me into the next segment of my, my career, which is then Johnson capital and, and uh, bits of real estate. But uh, yeah, Marcus and Millichap is a great foundation. Those guys obviously do very well. It's it's a springboard, I think, for a lot of upcoming agents as they as they want to learn. It's it's a system that that makes everybody super aggressive and it gets you familiar with. You have to you have to smile and dial, and it's all about iteration. It's all about you know, losing humility, and it's all about being you know kind of confident in yourself. And when you when you stop being a salesman, and that's one of the great things about Marcus and Millichap's model is when you stop being a salesman, you start to get it that you're talking to an investor that wants an angle or wants to sell their real estate. Don't don't fabricate how they get it done. Maybe adjust things, right? But don't fabricate how to get it done. And then you'll be reliable. And if you're reliable, then people will use you as an agent and then it becomes referral business down the road. And then like a lot of people from Marcus and Millichap either stand off and go and join another firm or they actually start their own. And I would say, I still talk to all the agents that I that, that were there. I mean, Chico LeClaire, Kevin Higgins, Barry Higgins, all these guys, I still run into them here in Denver. And it's, I mean, I think about it, it's 20, that's a 22 year, 23 year relationship that's still there. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, talk about the cold calling a little bit. How many okay. hours a day were you required to be on the phones, pounding the phones? Yeah, so that's the, the, the one thing that is like, so I was in the sales and marketing side. I was, I, I actually facilitated the abilities of the younger agents and the agents themselves to present proposals in a quick fashion. So I wasn't part of the actual cold calling side, but I was right next to the desks of all the guys. Uh, there are several of them, J.B. Hockman, uh, a lot of guys that are here still here in Denver. 
um, that they were on it all day long. And they're, 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 they're supporting uh, the agents in uh, next to the walls, right, in the offices. And those guys were constantly, like I would see, they, they didn't know because they were in cubes, but those guys would walk outside their door and just listen to hear their voices, make sure they're calling. It, it was an eight-hour, nine-hour thing. And a lot of it, too, the demand um, for the, the, the managing director of the office uh, it was stay late. If it's, if it's dark, that means it's not time to go home. And, and, and pushing that, 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 that gusto into these guys, that's what gets them going. Right. I mean, uh, you, you would, you would not know how many times I would be working late and we were firing up coffee at probably 7 PM, 8 PM here in the Denver office. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was hours a day. Um, and now, you know, I think I would be I'd be amazed to see that market today uh, or see the office environment today where a lot of people use text as business. And I love that. I love it. And and email marketing and and a lot of people rely. They, they, don't, they just don't want to talk to anybody on the phone anymore. It's either in person, in face or over the phone or, or I mean, like texting and, and email. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what I would say is like the, the, the demand because you have to be on the phone. You have to be reaching out. It's about numbers. It's about being persistent, consistent, and then also just making sure that you're reaching out to the people and, and, and hitting the, I guess, widening the net that you're spreading. Right. Absolutely. Now let's fast forward. Okay. Um, you went and landed a job as a CFO for a very, very large yeah. company who was very, very popular. We talked about it earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said it was okay for me to mention Frank yes, please. Yeah. and uh, his company there. How did you pull that off? I mean, how did you get into involved with his company? And um, tell us about that story. Yeah, so it's actually a pretty fabulous story. And, and, I, and I love it. And, and Dave and Frank, um, you know, they, they paved the way for me um, to, to, to start Cloverleaf, to, to, to travel the world too. Um, when, when I left the company, in 18, uh, you know, I had ambitions to travel and, and that was it. And I, I, I came out of the, I came out of it realizing that traveling was pretty boring at the end of the day. And I, and I had so much knowledge to extend. And I, and I, and Dave and I talked early on into the, uh, the business relationship that there is a space where in, in the small balance investment into mobile home communities that is underserved. People don't have the knowledge. They would love that knowledge. That's why they. That's why they have the mobile home university, and that's why they go to multiple sessions of that. They they want to. They want to be up to date. It's almost like getting an, a, a refresher or a, a booster on your real estate license. Okay, you have to go back and you have to to, to I guess continue education. Um, but um, how that started was, I got I got a, a, a connection from Dave. Because uh, they were seeking a CFO, and at the time they were taking the portfolio from, um, you know, truly um, from a how Dave built it. Which I don't know if you know the story, but Dave built it that company out of literally his garage, right? That's where that company came from, and um, you know they they ended up going and moving the office to a thrift store, an, an empty thrift store in in um, Colorado, and so basically. They reached out. It's a small town, Cedar Edge, Colorado. I'm not kidding you. One stoplight. I grew up in a small town in Indiana. There was no stoplights at all. Total population of 800. 
I mean, and a lot of like a lot of land was owned and it was our farm. But Dave knew that Dave, like as we went through the interviewing process, um, he goes, we're not leaving here. I'm dedicated to this city. And I already fell in love. I was like, OK, this is my guy. He, he is the type of person and individual I want to work for. And effectively, he goes, but we're not leaving. So you have to come out here. Well, I had already worked for a company that took went to NASDAQ. And, and, you know, I had a lot of the knowledge about what it takes to get there. That's where, that's where RBH or RB Horizons was going. They were wanting to expand into the public market. And so I had that knowledge. Uh, on, on the other side of it, too, I, and, and me, like you may have seen, and like a lot of people will see if you go into my LinkedIn, um, you know, I'm into strategic analytics, business intelligence, database design, programmatic development. I'm designing a platform right now. But I had to take this company that had been working out of QuickBooks on individual assets. Each single LLC was working out of QuickBooks on a new, an actual new file. So there was 200 plus, 200 plus company files in QuickBooks that I had to merge the data and all different charts of accounts. So I had to merge that, have a, I had to develop a key index for that chart of accounts and, and do it so I could report to our 1500 investors, right? And, and Dave is like, okay, so I need that type of technical knowledge. I need a, a lot of experience in commercial real estate. I need somebody that knows about mobile home communities, can run and help me run a business, but also get us ready for some a public mindset, right? And I went and met with Dave and I got hired. Nice. And, and then, so, I mean, the funniest thing is, and it wasn't, it wasn't just like moving out to Cedar Edge was simple. I didn't move out there. Uh, I had a life here in Denver, and so it was a four-hour, one-way drive, and every single week, 52 weeks in the year, would go back and forth. Every single weekend, I'd leave on Friday morning, get here, leave on Sunday afternoon. Wow. And yeah, yeah, and I had a place on the golf course, so it was great in Cedar Edge, and um, yeah, that was my life for three-plus years until we moved to HQ here in uh, when TPG was part of us. Um, down in the tech center. Wow. That's, that's how it happened. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> what was some of the biggest things that you saw that were funded during when you were there? Oh my gosh. So I think TPG, the, the, um, that recapitalization effort was probably the biggest, but I think overall, um, working with and starting the relationship with KeyBank, there was this whole courting period um, as we tried to, it's, as we evolved the, the, the portfolio itself, um, and this was only a third, and the company ended up splitting into two, it went from RB Horizons to Strive and Impact. You know, people, you know, as they do research, they'll find that out. But um, I think the biggest thing that happened was Dave and, and Frank and, and TPG and Key and KeyBank, they were going to DC and we helped formulate the policies that that agency debt was putting together for MH. So they were using our policies and we worked with Key Bank and built this relationship and 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 really started this whole new, I guess not movement, because at, at, at the time Dave and Frank definitely helped start the momentum. They were they, they were like called the OGs, okay, of the mobile home side, right? That's why they're known as the gurus. And Dave especially is known as the guru. But you know, the, kicking that stuff off and then becoming becoming I guess the 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 new part of a new movement. Um, that was probably the biggest thing. Not money. 
It wasn't the money side. It wasn't how much money that was in there. Uh, it wasn't the capital or anything like that. Because I've, I've worked on bigger deals. I mean, I'm over probably $2.1 billion in capital that I've dealt with. Um, all focused on real estate. But that was the biggest thing. And, and I love the fact that, you know, a lot of the stuff that I developed, and I remember designing the policies with Erston Young and, and, and working with TPG, um, you know, de developing the policies for the company. And, and those are the biggest things that I guess, you know, it's, it's not money-wise for me. It was being part of that, that movement. That's amazing. That's amazing. And then fast forward, now you have your own company. Correct. Talk about like how your company, the, how many people on payroll, what kind of deals are you looking sure. at? Where are you funding? Tell yeah. us a little bit about the makeup of your company. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. So yeah, Cloverleaf is a genesis of, again, working with Dave um, uh, back when we were starting to think about the underserved market. Dave had no, Dave didn't, he, his parents had had, um, you know, mobile home communities, but Dave was like, Dave's, Dave's heart's massive. Dave has got a big heart. And, and his thought during the genesis of this whole thing was, hey, we're not, we're not together anymore. You're not, you're not the CFO and you're not a shareholder anymore, but we still think that this could, this could, this could be a thing. And, and your, your knowledge and connections as the CFO of this company, uh, you've talked to all these banks, all these lenders, all this private capital, all, all the institutional debt, the insur life insurance companies, and a lot of my connections from being in Johnson Capital previous to this too, he's like, we could really help out these small investors as this thing booms. Um, and we were talking about this called, now it's like six, seven years ago, uh, as this thing started to gain traction in the MH. But um, yeah, I mean, it's Cloverleaf was the genesis. Dave is now a minority partner with me, as and so is Brandon, his son. Um, and Cloverleaf, I it was it was I wanted to have something. If I was going to come back and to call it the work environment, I was going to run it. I wanted I I wanted to I wanted to finally turn my decisions into something, right? Um, and and Dave giving me that opportunity and still being a part of it, uh, I was honored, of, of course. Um, but I wanted to design the company around all the things, all the assets that I could bring to the table too. And so Cloverleaf is the parent. Cloverleaf LLC is the parent. Cloverleaf Capital Group is one of the three divisions that sit the, the children underneath Cloverleaf. Uh, the capital group side is just the, the advisory and, and the consulting side, called then also a little bit part of the mortgage origination. Um, and the service involves, and I'm getting ready to launch the new kind of menu of, of offerings to the service. Uh, but it's not just me helping people find a lender. Uh, I have large and small investors using my chart of account advice. I help these large and small uh, clients and these investors book these transactions as they should be. I stump their CPAs, obviously, as I should, working with Ernst & Young, developing policies, okay, as in the CFO of this 30,000 lot portfolio, right, with 1,600 investors, Right. So uh, sorry, 1500 investors, 16 funds. But, you know, I help them with all these different levels on the advisory side. And that's the part that I want to expand. Um, it's just me right now. And, and I really want to expand into into the market where I do have employees as well. But I'm so busy with just business without a website and just all based on referrals. Um, but the, I want to kick off the other divisions too. And a lot of good things are taking place. And I'd love to mention them right now, but there's, there's not enough teeth, but there's a lot of, a lot of good moving and shaking. So that, that, you know, kind of blends into 
the, the synergy with Cloverleaf Equities. Cloverleaf Equities is going to be the investment portfolio and lending side to MH. Um, and then the other division, which is Cloverleaf IP, is going to blend all of my business intelligence models, my, my platform itself, my proprietary platform that I'm developing, all my algorithms, all my analytics, anything that I developed over the time in the industry, it's, that's going to be part of Cloverleaf IP, probably a lot, a lot of elements of licensing and stuff like that to end users. Um, the best part about it, I developed this triangle because they all work together, right? Cloverleafs is the parent, but every single one of the three children all work together. They all benefit from each other. So that's incredible, Brad. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of information there, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I, I nerded out, so hopefully there's a lot of nerds that watch. <laughs> I got a good amount of that. Unfortunately, I'm more a sales guy and more yeah. like that's more my personality. But I started to see like that other side of the business. Yeah, you're, you're very systematized. You're a high yeah. analytical kind of person. You know. Um, when when you use that strength to your to your um business advantage mm-hmm. um how how do you think you could scale it quicker um uh, what kind of people would you need to bring into your mix to kind of duplicate what you did with Frank and Dave yeah you know i i mean i i think that this this cloverleaf and what's happening right now um it's there's buzz and and i love it and i'm i'm i'm, I'm humble to it I'm, I'm very appreciative. Um, when I went out to Washington, D.C., which is going to be my next my next place until I moved to Hawaii. But, um, yeah, I went out to D.C. and, and literally uh, I was there for two days, started talking to clients, talked to people that have already been in, in the area. Uh, one of them was a private equity firm out of Arlington. Another was a client that I was working with in, in uh, British Columbia. And I met with him in Baltimore. Uh, got to see Baltimore for the first time, and then had a coffee meeting with a private equity firm in Arlington that started kicking the uh, you know kicking the can down the road for this next evolution of Cloverleaf. And his conversation or his his comment was very similar to what you just said. Okay, we understand you can't just bring somebody into Cloverleaf that has the same amount of knowledge. And if you know anybody were to invest in the business itself at a private equity side or capital side, um, you know you're going to lose so much time teaching them the things that you know. So he goes, "I'll ask you this question." And I love, I love how he spun this. But he said, "If there were five brads, what would the five brads do underneath you?" And and I described to him, "Okay, so first of all, it takes capital to 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 reach that next step, and one of the brads." would be running the division that's building this power, this, this platform, call it. And the platform uses my, my algorithms, my machine learning stuff that I designed uh, and the concepts of it. I mean, I, I spent so much time diverting my attention from one note and then back to business, one note, back to business as ideas form. But um, you know, one of them would be that's developing this platform so that I could turn the small balance stuff into a model. And turn it into a system, a production line, because that's where money's to be made. And and using my knowledge and a lot of my analytics and a lot of my historical knowledge, um, that's what one of the brads would do um, and help design the actual fundamental function of the business itself to make it to a lot of a lot of people that are in the industry itself connecting capital to investors uh, can't justify how much work it takes um, or justify the fee amount that you get when you're 
you could you could you it's the same amount of work to work on a five hundred thousand dollar deal as it is to work in a million dollar deal and even a ten million dollar deal. It is the same thing, okay? And so you know, I I think the one person that would be doing it would be helping me with that system and turning into a, a, a an efficient production line, right? Um, but I think the other side of it too is as these other divisions really kick off and as these other opportunities really start to launch and especially being on the lending side um you know i'm gonna need i'm gonna need those type of people too and i've got my i've got my ears to the ground but i'm also i spend so much time diverted to all my right now i have 37 deals i'm working on individually no kidding uh ranging from a 12 million dollar acquisition a 9.6 million dollar recap down to a two hundred thousand dollar acquisition. Wow, that's incredible! Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So are you are you charging like on a fee basis? Or yeah, you- yeah. Right now, I keep it simple. So again, I told you about the menu of services that I'm going to try to kick off. But um, you know, right now, I just want to keep it simple. I, I let my clients know that they're valuable to my business in the growth of Cloverleaf too. And so, a one percent fee, which I get told all the time is way too, my clients who I close deals with, no doubt, I'm not kidding you, they would admit it. They say, you don't charge enough for all the stuff that you bring to the table for us, uh, especially getting these deals done, which you know people don't, that don't understand the MH side uh, or that, that may understand what I'm talking about, about the amount of work. But yeah, I just charge a flat 1% fee. And I let the clients know that it's, it's simple, it's 1% of the debt capital raised, and I let them know too, it's, there's still value beyond the 1% that they're giving me in terms of building my analytics, my system, and, and keeps the lights on, right? And, and those things are the most important to me. Wow. <laughs> and for some of the newbies getting into the mobile home park space, mm-hmm. um, there's, they go to Frank and Dave's yep. university. Yep, yep. Like fired up. What would be your best advice to them? Oh, I have got two things, two things that I, and I actually just put this again in my bouncing back and forth with OneNote uh, about concepts. And, and I'm like one of the things I'm going to envelop into my website and in instructions with clients as, as they say, the same questions that I get all the time. And, and it's, it's not that I get annoyed with the questions. It's, it's an alert to me that I need to put something on the table that they can, that they can view right? And it's not an annoyance. It's for, they, they need to know this. And one of the top questions is, um, you know, how, when, when should I approach you? Or what are rates and terms today? Well, I'll tell you this right now. Don't ever ask somebody who's helping you find a lender that question, because it's, it's, it's kind of like a, it's, it's, it's a setup. Okay. And, and when, when we, and, and even lenders themselves, when, when they get asked that question, Obviously, it's, it's important to underwrite a deal. The investor wants to know the terms, the amortization, the interest rate, um, you know, the maturity. Is this a balloon? All that stuff. But things move. And so number one thing I would say is when you go, on, to go under contract on a deal, don't listen to the seller and especially don't listen to the broker. They're going to try to push the deal fast and they want to get it done. And so they're going to say, you know, with it's a mobile home acquisition. It's super popular. Um, you know, here's the, here's the listing price. It's a killer deal. It's a 10 cap, all this type of stuff. And we're going to close in 50 days. No, you're not. 
And it doesn't matter how popular mobile home communities are. Number one piece of advice I would say is 90 days minimum on the contract. Give yourself 45 days uh, for the due diligence period and 45 days for lending with, with caveat, with a, an option to maybe bump up some earnest money, but definitely 30 more days extension. Because I'm working with clients and it's three months down the road and I still can't, I still can't get lenders to lock in on a refi something that exists. So I'd say 100, like 90 to 120 days minimum on their contract, have the caveat of a due diligence period, and then also the financing period, period. That's number one. This is the first piece of advice. Second piece of advice is don't let the, the sell side back you into this, these short, these short ended periods. If you really need, if you, if you go into, if you launch the due diligence period, typically in the contract, it says the due diligence period starts after you both agree that this information has been received. Don't start it and assume it automatically begins once you sign the contract. And that's one of the ways you get back into the corner by the broker and the seller. Okay. If you don't have every piece of information you need, call it a T12, or, or um, uh, all of the, the PL statements from previous years, call it two, three years past. If you don't have that, then the due diligence period doesn't start. And don't get suckered into going to, to launching into the due diligence period early. I've dealt with so many clients that come to me after they've signed the contract, they're 30 days into due diligence. There's not much I can do when they have 40 days left. I still need probably three to four weeks just to get them a lender. So those are my two biggest pieces of advice. That was huge, Brad. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because that due diligence period, man, it can make you or break you. It makes it makes or breaks you. And then also, if you if you ever like been in track or anything, I you know I was I was a track athlete in in high school and college. And there's when you go to train to get faster, you run with a parachute behind you when you're training. Right. And that's the number one thing. Not only does it possibly, uh, you know, you you, uh, you get slowed down, right? You're doing it on purpose, but you're, you're being slowed down and your progression and your, your opportunity to close on this deal, maybe even lose your earnest money is right there. So you, th those two points that I just said, I think people need to know right out of the gates. I say that th the other the, the other third thing that I would recommend is approach somebody like myself before you sign the contract. Because when you go in and they're like listing something at call it 2 million at a 10 cap, well, you start to find out in the due diligence period that that 10 cap is based on a home and community combined revenue. That's not how lenders look at this. Lenders look at this at what they're going to commoditize, what the actual commodity is going to be, what they're going to secure in the transaction. And they're securing only the land, not the home revenue. So the home revenue doesn't count. And so you get suckered in to buying these properties at the combined revenue. And that's not what it's being, that's, that's, that's not what's being lent on. And so come to me, come to somebody who's been in this for a long time. And this is the, this is the differential of the service is I separate this for them in the books. I've seen so many different profit and loss statements from the 30,000 lots that I helped operate as a CFO and then presented this stuff to the investors on calls and then in reports I see these numbers right away and I don't even need to apply it into a spreadsheet. I see that it's high. I know it's typically going to have a com like combined home expense or CapEx. Um, and those things right there, that takes 30 days to understand. The sellers don't get right back to you. The brokers don't get right back to you. That's why the due diligence period needs 45 days. 
Wow. <laughs> I could hear the wealth of experience just by you talking about all this. Now, these parked own um, uh, properties that are yeah. on mobile home parks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts when somebody, this broker one time, I was looking at one. Yeah. Was, yeah. Um, almost 100% of them are not, um, they're park owned. Yeah. They're yeah. not like uh, the, the tenants owned. Yeah. What would you have said to somebody that was like a broker was pitching me really hard and saying, it's a great deal. You should. Great opportunity. It. Yeah. 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 No, I, I mean, look, when I talk, when they, when they talk to me on the phone with my client on the buy side, and then when I talk to them about a sell side, they know there's two different types. They know. Okay. They know the separation. They know the difference. And when they do, it is a great opportunity. Don't get me wrong. Because if you have a mindset of selling these too, which the market is, it's a lot of lenders have to get, they have to get up to speed. A lot of lenders and including agency and institutional debt, they have to start coming into the market and, and loosening and understanding the, the community owned home section. Park owned home is what they call, I call them communities. I don't call them parks. Right. And that was how we had to change the mentality and, uh, and the mindset of the, of, of the 700 people on our staff at RBH. But uh, we call them communities. And when it's community owned home, yes, there's an opportunity to sell it. But it takes longer to find a buyer there than it is to find a renter. Right. And so when, when somebody comes in, there's an opportunity to, to make a lot of money on just the home side. But you have to operate these things as two different businesses sitting underneath the parent. Okay, you buy it under an LLC. That's the mo that's that's probably the 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 one on one of commercial real estate, right? You probably talked about that with a lot of your your uh, um, uh, people that have that joined the podcast, right? But I mean, the home side, you have home ops and you have community ops, and you can run a consolidated financial statement. But that's like the number one thing. If there's a lot of community owned homes, it's going to be hard to get lending. Number one. Because they think a lot of lenders, and this is another thing, a lot of lenders think that a tenant of a community-owned home is more transient than anything versus a tenant-owned home owner that's paying a lot rent. They've been there for probably an average of eight years, and it costs $5,000 to move that home. They're going to stay. A community-owned home and that, that tenant might just blitz that night, right? But, I mean, that happens in apartments, too. That's okay? Right. So. Right. You know, I think that the number one thing, if somebody's pitching the community-owned home and they're pitching the, the opportunity there, they're pitching the fact that there's combined revenue, that's great. But if you're going to finance this deal, you better start looking at this from the community-only portion. And then the, the other side of it, the, the community-owned homes is icing on the cake. Wow. Brad, tell me a little bit, because I caught that community-owned versus park-owned. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that mindset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean... One of the things, if in this industry, it's been called trailer parks for a long time. And there's a big difference. Don't get me wrong. There's trailer parks and there's trailer park owners. And then there's communities. Okay. And, and one of the things that I saw and, and really became familiar with and really enlightened me about the industry itself is these, these mobile home communities are, are communities themselves of the tenants. Uh, they watch over themselves. Uh, you know, they, they take care of the, the land around their home, whether or not that they're renting the home and the, the lot itself, or they're just tenant, they're, they're tenant owned homes and they're just paying a lot rent, right? They care about 
the land around them. It's it's I call I've this one of the things that I've I've always called uh, community like ten or um, uh, mobile home communities. It's a two dimensional apartment building, right? And each lot is an apartment, and and they take care of themselves. So it's it one of the things that we wanted to embody as we wanted to transition the mindset of the industry itself, but also the staff is these are communities. No more calling it parks. Right. And so there's park owned homes and trailer parks and mobile home parks and all that. Now, I, I for, for each each of my clients from the beginning will say, yeah, you just call the community community owned homes. It's they're not all bad. And most communities, they're transitioning now. All this private equity money, billions of dollars of private equity money going into these things. Um, they're, they're creating a new footprint. They're creating a new faceplate. Um, they're, they're, they're putting signage and everything that white picket fences and all this stuff and paving the roads, street lamps. It's a community. It's not a park, right? And it's, it's all about thinking a little bit about naming and misconception. And, and a lot of people, I actually talked to a credit union this past week and he goes, that's just not the quality of asset we want in our portfolio. And I go, well, Warren Buffett thinks it's good enough. <laughs> right. So, um, but I mean, he goes, and I, and I sent them that deal. And then he goes, I, I sent him another bigger one of a five property portfolio recap. And he goes, well, why would five be better than one? And I go, you still don't understand. Right. And it, it's again, there's still that it's still that backwards that people don't understand this investment. So I sent him an article about the top private equity firms that are investing in this space, including Warren Buffett and Sam Zell. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Thanks for sharing that insight. Now, as far as the opportunity for like the smaller investor, yeah, I mean, what what are you seeing that's still available for them? Yeah, well, here's the best part. Okay, and now I'm about to bust into the the analytical side and and the data assets that I have. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a super nerd when it comes to the industry and when it comes to data itself because I think a lot of people need to be better educated about the sector. But say, for example, you know, there's 44,000, I call a round number, but there's approximately 44,000 mobile home communities across the country. Okay. Very little in Hawaii, as I found out, there's probably <laughs> maybe one, if any, um, but you know, there's 44,000 across the country and the top call it 10, 15% of those 44,000 are what you would call publicly traded or call it five and four star properties. Then you have a series of them that are two to call 10 lot portfolio or two to 10 lot properties that 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 covers probably a good 25% of that 44,000. The bottom 25, you go by large, by, by size. There's that middle portion that is still widely available. So if you really start to think about dwindling down or, or, or I guess, um, kind of engineering into that number that's uh, possible for people to buy, the small balance portion of call it that gap, that middle, call it 35, maybe 30,000. This is for throw out round numbers. 30,000 opportunities for people to come in that are possibly still mom and pop owned or recently traded hands that are getting homes and now are maybe boosting value. The bottom half of that 30,000, call it 15,000 properties across the country, still have not, they still are owned by mom and pops that have not been contacted or never really thought, or it might be just that time to pick up the phone, smile and dial, and they're finally ready to sell. 
And those opportunities to go in, they might be underserved, they might be under market rents. You know, Frank talks about it all the time in the mobile home university. And now it's becoming widely, widely accessible through all the podcasts that people are coming familiar with the industry. But those opportunities where there's no they're they're below market rent, the tenants are actually taking advantage of the landlord. And and you can go in and boost the rent, boost the occupancy. And, and next thing you know, you have this great asset. And that's, that's a lot of the, the, the uh, really the boom of the industry and what's been taking place. Uh, so I would say there's still 15,000 of opportunities of mom and pops if you pick up and smile and die, right? Any, part, any particular region you'd favor now more than ever? Um, I mean, Central Plains states are still always going to be probably the highest target. Um, I would say most of the traction that I've seen recently is on the East Coast, the Carolinas. Call it the north, the north of the southeast. Um, your your Alabama's, your Mississippi's, Georgia. Um, that area is really taking off because there's a lot of collateral there. Texas has always been popular. Midwest is struggling right now because of just the over economic factor. And we got this the O side, the Omicron, right of the uh, COVID coming out. That's going to hit even harder in the Midwest. And then there there, there are different tax states there. There that that the economic factor taxes. Uh, and, the, and the requirements to have a mobile home community there, it's, it's tough, but there's good opportunities if you turn over that stone. Uh, Central Plain states are always going to be successful here. Um, so I would always target that. West Coast, you know, high cap rates, high rents. East Coast, high cap rates, high rents. So diving into that, kind of let the big dogs play there. If you're a small balance investor in these things, Central Plain states, Northern Southeast, that's where I would focus. Now, is it possible, is it really possible for like a, somebody on the West Coast, like California, hmm. to invest Midwest or somewhere central um, to operate and run it from afar? Or what do you recommend somebody like that? In yeah, that kind of yeah. Uh, I think you have to be comfortable. Number one, I always think you either have to have somebody who's managing your property beyond site. Uh, especially if you're in this high lease up, bringing in new homes and, and thinking about selling them. Uh, you can't do that. You can't do that with a contractor that's got to come to the property kind of in the resident, like the residential mindset. Right. Uh, so you need somebody on site. And depending on the size of the community, you need somebody there to also maintain it. Um, you know, I think that you can with the right. You have to if you're a California investor looking to invest in the Midwest or the Central Plain States. It's not that expensive these days to jump on a plane and do a flip around, right? Spirit and Frontier and all these different companies obviously offer these great rates if you're just bouncing back and forth. Um, but, you know, I would say you have to be confident in your, your, your management that's, that's there. The people who are on the ground, uh, your soldiers on the ground is what I, we called it in the company itself with RV Horizons. Um, but you can do it. And, and with... Zoom calls like this and with online reporting and, and the ability to take a look at the numbers and have real time. I mean, heck, look at all these companies that are out there today that, um, you know, that are providing uh, online digital readings of, of utility meters. And, and you get alerted right away if, the, if it spots a leak, if consumption's higher, uh, which that's, that's another side story of what we helped like that industry to at RV Horizons kick off into gear. Um, that didn't exist. Um, but you know, you have all these capabilities to operate these things from out of state. 
And it, the biggest thing is, is having confidence in your manager and having confidence in the company that's possibly going to be running the facility for you. They better be communicative and you better have access to the numbers so that you know that the investment's doing what it can. It also, it also helps prevent any type of uh, theft or, or, or fraudulent activity. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely possible. You just got to have the right people and you have to have the right protocols in place, right policies too with that team. Brad, this was incredible. You're such a wealth of knowledge. I mean, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you, you literally wrote the book. Kind of guy. <laughs> no, I learned from the people that wrote the book. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you wanted to add? Best way to get a hold of you, Brad. Now, best way to get a hold of me, and thank you very much again. I, I want to start with thanking you for giving me this opportunity to, to extend my knowledge. Um, I didn't have it. I didn't have any help growing up. Um, I did this all by myself through hard work. And, um, you know, I like to be part of this and to, to help people understand the knowledge. And maybe whatever I said today um, helps people get into the industry. But uh, for me, you know, that's number one thing. Thank you very much. Uh, best way to get a hold of me is... Since the website's not out yet, uh, best way is over my mobile, 303-525-4850, or they can reach me via email. And I love, again, I said it already, I love text message. And I love the business that starts there. Uh, but my email is brad, B-R-A-D, at Cloverleaf Capital Group, all spelled out, dot com. You are the man. We wish you well. Thank you so much for being on our show. Of course. No, thanks, Joe. Appreciate the opportunity. Wow! I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I hope you learned as much as I did or more. So guys, look at the comment thread. If you've seen something, heard something, want to learn more about something, please put it on the comment link below. If you're not a subscriber yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Go ahead and smash that bell to hear the latest and greatest on the show. Follow me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram. I'm putting this channel together to hopefully add incredible value to you. And if you want to learn more about investing, you're new to investing, I highly recommend this book, Flex with a Plex. Also this book, if you're having some challenges, as you can see, everybody on the show had some kind of adversity, including yours truly. So I shared a lot of that on make it a comeback, giving you some incredible tips to make a comeback. So get either one, Plex with a Plex, or make it a comeback. If you want to get more tips, go ahead and go to JoeMendoza.com. Again, subscribe, share, like, make a comment below. I really, really appreciate you. Want to add incredible value and wish you all the best in your success in real estate and in life. Take care. Our company is not responsible for the success or failure of your business decisions relating to any information presented by our company or our company programs, products, and or services.